Welcome into Real Pod Wednesdays. Dan Hope joined once again this week by Griffin Strom, who I hope is feeling better after uh, missing last week's show. I'm just glad I didn't have COVID. I did one of the at-home tests, but you know that, that didn't really help the symptoms at all because I still had a bad cough for most of this past week. Still getting over all of the symptoms, but I'm feeling definitely markedly better uh, this week than I was last week. Yeah, I feel you there. We've, we've both had a week here where we were too sick to podcast. So hopefully we've gotten that out of our system for a year. But uh, big thanks, of course, to Garrick and Kevin for filling in on Griffin's behalf last week. But a new week now and, and still plenty of news happening. Even the season's been over for more than a couple of weeks now. Uh, still lots of news happening in the past week. And of course, the biggest part of that being the coaching staff overhaul that continues at Ohio State as uh, we learned on Thursday that Ohio State would be hiring two new secondary coaches. Tim Walton, who was previously uh, the Jacksonville Jaguars quarterbacks coach, will now be the cornerbacks coach at Ohio State. And Perry Eliano, who was previously the cornerbacks coach at Cincinnati, will now be the safeties coach at Ohio State. With those two coming, that means that Kerry Combs and Al Washington will not be returning. Kerry Combs, uh, we learned on Tuesday, is going to now be the cornerbacks coach and special teams coordinator at Cincinnati, while Al Washington is going to be the new defensive line coach and defensive run game coordinator at Notre Dame. So we can get to those guys in a few minutes, but just starting with the new hires, to me, they both look like really strong hires. We haven't gotten a chance to talk to those guys yet, but you look at both of their resumes, Tim Walton being a guy who, for one, is a former Buckeye, and secondly, has a ton of coaching experience, first at the collegiate level, but most recently in the NFL, more than a decade of coaching cornerbacks at that level. And then Perry Lionel, you could absolutely say that he had the best cornerback tandem in the country last year at Cincinnati with uh, Kobe Bryant, who won the Jim Thorpe Award, and uh, Ahmad Sauce Gardner, who's expected to be a first-round pick in the upcoming NFL draft. So these are two guys with a track record of developing really good defensive backs, and certainly that's something that's needed at Ohio State. Yeah, you know, for Ryan Day, continuity, you know, seemed to be a big thing for the last couple of years in terms of the coaching staff. But I think, obviously, when we see the way things went on defense this past season in particular, changes were definitely in order. And there have been changes left and right. I mean, no one can lobby the criticism at Ryan Day anymore that, you know, he's not trying to make these moves on his coaching staff, bringing in guys that look like great hires on paper for sure. And I will say just because because I wrote the, you know, the five things to know piece for us on the site about uh, Alino. And, you know, it's not like everywhere he's gone, every defense he's ever coached on has been, you know, this super elite, you know, unit against the pass or something, but he has developed guys in the past, you know, from smaller programs that have made it, you know, to the NFL level at cornerback. He was a safety himself back in the day, obviously with Sauce Gardner and Kobe Bryant, both of those guys, two of the top corners in the entire country and Cincinnati, you know, defensively, you know, one of the hottest programs in the entire country. I think they were number two against the pass this past season. But yeah, I think really high marks for a lot of these hires for Ohio State, at least on paper when you look at it. And that's true for all these guys. When you talk about, you know, they haven't all had elite units everywhere they've been. I mean, Tim Walton was also the Jaguars who were terrible the past couple of years, as you know, most of you probably know. You know, Jim Knowles, I mean, he's had success everywhere he's been, but a lot of times it's taken some time 
to build that up. I mean, we talked about Justin Fry last week. He's had success everywhere, but that doesn't mean that he's had elite units every year. They just, on Tuesday, they hired, they also hired a senior advisor and analyst, Matt Guerreri. He comes from Duke. He was the co-defensive coordinator and safeties coach at Duke, which literally was dead last in the nation last year in yards allowed per game. So you can't just look at the numbers and, you know, how good the offense or defense was at each school where guys came from to, to gauge how good a coach is. You've got to look a little deeper into it and you've got to kind of project, okay, how are all these guys going to do when they now come to Ohio State versus where they've been in the past? But, you know, I think sticking with those secondary coaches for a moment, you know, I think with Eliano, certainly – you know, he has he is not coached at a program like Ohio State. I don't think he's coached at any power five program. So uh, this is going to be a jump for him in that regard. But you know, to see what he did at Cincinnati with the talent he had there to, to develop two guys who are unquestionably going to be NFL draft picks uh, this upcoming spring and to lead a defense that I think was ranked in the top three in like every major category to do what he did there. I think that's really encouraging for how that can translate to Ohio State. And then, you know, I think when you look at Tim Walton, this kind of continues a trend we've seen with Ryan Day because when he built his inaugural staff, he hired Jeff Halfley, who had been with the 49ers. He brought him in to coach the secondary. Then when Halfley left, he brought in Kerry Combs, who had been with the Tennessee Titans, to coach the secondary. And now he's bringing in Tim Walton to replace Kerry Combs. So, it, it seems like there's a trend there. It seems like Ryan Day likes bringing somebody into that secondary coach role who has some NFL experience. You know, that's something that I'd like to ask him about whenever we next get to talk to, to Ryan Day, why he's, you know, continued to go that route. But I think he likes having somebody in that role who has some NFL experience. And I, I think that always plays well on the recruiting trail too. You know, obviously I think the question for a guy like Tim Walton who hasn't coached in over a decade is, how well is he going to recruit? Because college football has changed a lot since he was last in college football, which uh, was in 2008 when he was the defensive coordinator at Memphis. He had been at uh, Miami and LSU before that. So he does have some experience coaching at marquee programs. He was actually on a, a national champion staff under Nick Saban at LSU. So, so he's experienced being at the highest levels. Uh, of course, he knows what it's like to be an Ohio State cornerback, but it's been a long time, so he's going to have to get reacclimated to that. But when I think when you can go into, you know, AJ Harris's house or whatever cornerback he's recruiting, and you can say, "Hey, I, I coached Jalen Ramsey, and Jalen Ramsey said I, I was the best DB coach he's ever had." When you can say stuff like that, that's going to play well with recruits, and I certainly I think Eliano with what he's done at Cincinnati. He's got a great track record that he can point to as well. Yeah, I think you can kind of throw that that recruiting point um, out there about several of these guys, even Jim Knowles, right, that he hasn't necessarily recruited at, at this high level of an Ohio, an Ohio State program. But, of course, with the resources at their disposal and the track record and everything like that, I don't think it will be too much of an issue and we'll you know start being able to see that kind of right away. But, Dan, we're talking about the guys, the incoming coaches here. Let's circle back really quick to, to a couple of the outgoing guys and kind of just Take a look back specifically here with Kerry Combs and Al Washington. You know, how are we going to look back at their tenure with the Buckeyes? Because, you know, at the end here, it's kind of like, man, those defenses were a disappointment, especially this past season with, you know, multiple losses for Ohio State in the regular season alone. Al Washington, the development of his group 
left something to be desired, I think, is, is something you could definitely say about him. Kerry Combs, Ohio State's performance against the pass, definitely not what a lot of people were expecting when he came back to the program. So what are your thoughts about their Ohio State tenures and kind of, you know, now that we're looking back at the end here of their runs with Ohio State? Well, I think certainly if Kerry Combs, if you're writing a book on Kerry Combs, you've got to look at the totality of, of what he's done at Ohio State because, you know, I think everybody would agree looking back at his first tenure at Ohio State, he, he was consistently one of the best cornerbacks coaches in the country. I mean, he was recruiting and developing guys who, who went to the NFL on an annual basis. I mean, I, I think every, basically every starting cornerback that he had in his first tenure was selected in the NFL draft. So I think, you know, he did an excellent job in his first tenure at Ohio State in, in that role. You know, I think one thing that, you know, you're going to hear everybody say about Kerry, but nobody's going to question about Kerry is that you know, he loved working at Ohio State. He's very passionate, you know, even the way that he handled things this past year in terms of being demoted midseason and how he handled that and continued to be a professional about it. You know, you just see it and, you know, what a lot of his former players said on Twitter, you know, after the news came out that he would not be back is, you know, somebody who is beloved by his players, who, you know, everybody who's, you know, played for him, worked with him, holds him in very high regard. The reality was he was hired to a position he was not cut out for. I think that's just the truth that he was hired to run Ohio State's defense. And it just didn't work out. You know, he, he, Ryan Day took a chance there hiring a guy who had never been a full-time defensive coordinator to come in and, and be the guy who was running the defense. And I think that's something Ryan Day has learned from. I think you know, that's why he went out this time around and hired an experienced, established defensive coordinator in Jim Knowles because that's what Ohio State needed now you know from what it sounds like it if Kerry Combs had really wanted to stay at Ohio State as a position coach there were conversations that, that could have made that happen ultimately you know he decided to go back to Cincinnati which I think is a perfect fit for him you know to be to go back to his hometown to coach you know cornerbacks there it, it's funny you actually kind of have a trade because Perry Lionel was the cornerbacks coach there he joins Ohio State's coaching staff and then Cincinnati replaces him by hiring back Terry Combs. So they kind of traded spots there. But I think, you know, Cincinnati, you know, it makes total sense for him to go back there and, you know, coach cornerbacks, coach special teams. You know, I think a role that is better suited for him, you know, and certainly, you know, echoing what a lot of people have said. But I think, you know, Kerry Combs should be, you know, remembered fondly, held in very high regard by Ohio State fans because he did a lot for Ohio State especially in his first tenure, was consistently a good recruiter. Just, you know, it just didn't work out with him being the defensive coordinator. And ultimately, you know, they ended up parting ways here. And I think that's probably for the best for both parties. But, you know, I think certainly there's a lot of great things you can say about what Kerry Combs did for Ohio State. You know, in terms of Al Washington, you know, I think it goes back to what you said, Griffin, but I think the reality is the linebacker's performance was just not up to standard. It, it, it just wasn't. And, you know, it's funny how these things work sometimes because, you know, I think this past cycle was by far his best cycle as a recruiter. 
and he brings in CJ Hicks and Gabe Powers and Sonny Styles, and maybe those guys become the kind of linebackers that Ohio State's been missing. And maybe if you know he sticks around for a couple more years, maybe he gets that linebacker unit to an elite level. But the reality is that Ohio State is people don't have a lot of patience. Fans don't, head coaches don't, nobody has a lot of patience at Ohio State. And the standard is always to be competing at a championship level. And that didn't happen on defense for the last couple of years. So there had to be changes made. You know, I think Griffin made the point about continuity. I think a year ago after, you know, COVID really wrecked the entire 2020 season, he wanted to give everybody another chance. I think he believed that with a full off season of everybody working together, that things were going to get better, but that didn't happen. And so I think because that didn't happen, Ryan, they really didn't have a choice but to make some tough decisions here. And I think, you know, with Jim Knowles coming in, Jim Knowles is a linebackers coach by trade. You know, I'm sure he had influence in that decision too, in terms of Knowles wanting to continue to coach the linebackers. And then they wanted to bring in two new secondary coaches. You do all of that. There, there just wasn't a spot left for Al Washington. And, you know, Al Washington, again, you know, he's certainly landing on his feet going to Notre Dame. So, you know, I don't know all the details there. It does sound like it was in that case, very much Ohio state's decision to move on from Al Washington, but it's not as if, you know, Al Washington isn't getting another, you know, great opportunity somewhere else. So one more storyline for that Notre Dame game. And we're going to talk a little bit about the schedule here later in the show, but it feels like just more fuel keeps getting thrown on the fire of that season opener at Notre Dame, which is going to give us a lot to talk about as we get closer to September. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, with Jim Knowles coming in and obviously Al Washington departing as well, it's really, we're starting to see the defense turnover and become kind of Jim Knowles. The Jim Knowles stamp is starting to get put on it, right? And besides the hires that we already uh, talked about and you did address, Matt Guerreri. Man, Jerry Jerry sent us a text this morning with the pronunciation. Should look it up here. Yeah, I was not privy to that text. Guerreri, Guerreri is what Guerreri. it says. And a couple of quality control uh, grad assistant guys from Oklahoma State, Coy McFarland and Michael Hunter are all guys that are going to be coming to Ohio State, all guys that have ties to Knowles in the past. So you're starting to see him kind of exert some influence now over this defense. And then obviously, like we talked about with Al Washington, departing from the staff, Jim Knowles, obviously going to be making an imprint on this defense here. And one question we had from Bull1214 is actually about one of those grad assistant guys, Dan. And I don't know if you have a little more background knowledge on a couple of those guys, but they ask, what are your thoughts on... Knowles coaching the linebackers with the help of McFarland and is McFarland a possible linebacker coach in training since he will have an important role in improving the position? Yeah, it's an interesting question because McFarland actually took over as the linebackers coach for Oklahoma State before the Fiesta Bowl because Jim Knowles left the staff after he accepted the position at Ohio State. So, you know, he was the linebacker coach in training there. And now he's ultimately decided to join Knowles at Ohio State. And so, you know, I would certainly expect that he's going to continue to work with the linebackers at Ohio State like he did at Oklahoma State. I'm always a little bit uncertain on how all this stuff works between graduate assistants and quality control coaches. And we don't know exactly what his title is yet. And it's always a little bit unclear about what those guys are and aren't exactly allowed to do or supposed to do. And so 
I don't want to say definitively what, you know, I, I think he's going to do exactly for Ohio State, but certainly I think with Jim Knowles, you know, being the defensive coordinator and with the fact that there's not going to be another full-time linebackers coach on staff, I think Coy McFarland is a guy who is not an insignificant hire here. I think he's a guy who could definitely have influence on, you know, how things uh, go at the linebacker position and on defense and certainly possible that, you know, depending on how things go over, you know, the next two or three years or whatnot, that, you know, he could be a future full-time coach at Ohio State. We've seen Ryan Day go that route before with, you know, Corey Dennis and Parker Fleming promoting guys from within. So certainly possible. I'm not going to make any predictions on that about whether he's going to be a future linebackers coach because, you know, the best laid plans don't always work out. And I mean, I mean, I mean, a year ago, we were talking about how Ohio State had to keep Al Washington from going to Tennessee and now he's been fired. And so, you know, things can change, you know, really quickly. And so, you know, I, I don't think it's, I don't think it's worth reading too much into, you know, a support staff hire and, and going, this is what the future of, of Ohio State's linebacker room is going to be. You know, I know we were asked about, you know, Larry Johnson and his future. And I know, you know, some people have been saying, you know, well, Ohio State should hire another defensive line coach so that you have, you know, somebody waiting in the wings because, you know, it does seem like there's a good chance this will be Larry Johnson's final year at Ohio State. I don't know that for sure, but it does seem like, you know, that's a possibility. But, you know, I think, you know, the reality is there is, I would think that when Larry Johnson retires, Ohio State's going to want to go out and get the best defensive line coach they possibly can. They're probably not looking for somebody who's, you know, going to be a support staffer now or somebody who's going to be a, you know, backup defensive line coach now. They probably want somebody who's the main defensive line coach somewhere else that they can then, you know, try to bring in whenever Larry Johnson retires. And so, you know, it's certainly, again, it's certainly possible that, you know, there could be a future where Coy McFarland gets promoted to being the full-time linebackers coach, but I don't know that I'd go that far right now in terms of saying that, you know, he's a, you know, linebackers coach in waiting. I think, you know, that's going to depend on how things play out, you know, in, in years to come. We've talked a lot about the defensive changes, right, on the coaching staff, but there have been plenty of new titles handed out for offensive coaches, and another new one on Tuesday morning was Tony Alford, you know, longtime running backs coach for Ohio State. He has now gained another title himself. He's been promoted to run game coordinator. Of course, just a, a couple of weeks ago, Brian Hartline got the title of passing game coordinator for Ohio State. You still got Kevin Wilson in there. He's still, you know, co-offensive coordinator. Brian Day's still calling the plays for Ohio State. And then Justin Fry as well, the, the new offensive line coach. He also has the title of associate head coach. A lot of guys getting you know, potentially a pay bump and another title on top of their uh, pre-existing responsibilities. Dan, what do you make of all these new, not new coaches? They've been there for a while. If, you know, the proof is in the pudding with the, the offense's production here the last several years, which I think is why a lot of these guys are getting these new titles. But what do you make of all these guys kind of, you know, getting these new titles? Yeah, I feel like Ryan Day has become Oprah Winfrey here, handing out titles like free cars. I mean, I think the titles are a little ridiculous, but I'm going to be completely honest. When you have an offensive coordinator and a passing game coordinator and a run game coordinator, and none of them are 
actually the offensive play caller. You know, I, I think the titles are a little bit ridiculous. I also understand why they're happening because it's, it's a mechanism to keep guys on staff and, and give guys races. I mean, it sounds like with Tony Alford may have been a similar situation to Brian Hartline where Marcus Freeman and Notre Dame made a run at, you know, trying to bring Alford back to Notre Dame. And so now, now Ohio State, you know, giving him, giving him a raise, giving him a promotion to keep him in the fold. And so, you know, I think, again, as we talked about last week, I think by and large, the, these new titles don't mean a whole lot other than they're a vehicle, keeping guys on staff, rewarding them for the work they've done and, and giving them raises as well. But, you know, I do think it's kind of funny that, I mean, other, other than Corey Dennis, who's still just quarterbacks coach, every other offensive coach has some fancy title attached to their name. And yet the head coach is calling the offensive plays. So, you know, it's one of those things that I don't think it's worth beyond it, just a silly standpoint. I don't think it's worth overanalyzing because I don't think, I don't think much is changing here in terms of these guys being named passing game and run game coordinator. I think both of them already had an influence in how things were going to be done on offense. I think they're still going to have an influence, maybe a slightly increased influence. You know, maybe this is a sign that, you know, day is, you know, thinking about maybe giving up some control of the offense and, you know, and, and making it, you know, more of a collaborative approach. But I, I don't think any of this is a sign that things are going to change drastically on offense, nor should they. Because Ohio State's offense was ranked number one in the country in both points and yards per game this past season. So uh, Ohio State does not need big changes on offense. I don't think it should be looking for big changes on offense. And, and I think, you know, in, in terms of, you know, what you're doing here and making all these guys coordinators, I think the reality is as long as it works, nobody's going to question it. If Ohio State continues to have top-ranked offenses – they can name as many offensive coordinators as they want. It's if things don't continue to that standard where we're going to start asking, all right, why does Ohio State have four offensive coordinators? <laughs> so, you know, as long as it works, fine. And, you know, certainly all these guys you're talking about, you guys like Brian Hartline, Tony Alford, those are guys you want to keep around because they've done a great job at Ohio State. You know, I, Brian Hartline's the best wide receivers coach in the country. Certainly, I think. Tony Alford is one of the best running backs coach in the country. So those are guys you want to keep around and you do what you have to do to keep those guys around. And I think a good thing for Ohio state fans to see is, you know, I know there were some people who felt like Ohio state was not being aggressive enough in terms of, you know, paying up to keep assistant coaches in the fold. We haven't seen the new contracts yet for any of these guys other than Jim Knowles, but I think it's pretty clear that Ohio State is doing what it needs to do to you know, not only go out and get top coaches, but also to retain the coaches that it really wants to retain. So you know, I think certainly Ohio State's assistant coach payroll is going to be substantially higher in 2022 than it's ever been before. And you know, I think between Ryan Day and Gene Smith, you know, it's been made clear that, you know, they need to pay for the best assistant coaches they can get if Ohio State is going to win national titles. Yeah, Dan, I, I should say it, it has been at times a common kind of complaint from Ohio State fans, despite all the success of the Ohio State offense, of course. People have said before, like, 
should Ryan Day be the play caller for the Ohio State offense all the time? You know, and of course, you look at what he's done with his offense, and you're like, I mean, wow, like why would he, you know, relinquish any power? But there, that has been a, you know, a complaint at times from fans, especially you know on Twitter and things. If people aren't happy with the play calling, and whatnot, that is a topic that's been brought up before. So it will be interesting to see if maybe you know, like you mentioned, will he say, you know, things could be more of a collaborative process with all these guys having these, you know, bolstered titles, or will he just say, you know nothing's actually going to change in terms of uh, practically with, with, the, with the play calling and whatnot. But Dan, with, with all the new additions to the staff now, this should be it, right? Or is there, would you expect any further changes? That's a, that's a question we got from Go Bucks 1966. Can we expect any further additions to the staff? It, it seems like it's probably reaching the end here of its uh, formation, right? Yeah, I think this should be it. I mean, again, you never know. Uh, and when I say it, I mean, the 10 full-time guys, there could be more analysts added, quality control coaches, what have you. But I think in terms of a full-time coaching staff, I would be surprised if there's any further changes. You know, I think, you know, all indications are that Larry Johnson's going to be back for at least one more year. You know, I know some Ohio State fans had questions about Parker Fleming, but all indications are that he's going to be sticking around as special teams coordinator. You know, I think the only question would be is, you know, like we just talked about with, you know, offer and Heartline, if, if somebody else makes an offer to one of these coaches that they decide to jump at. But I think at this point, that's getting pretty unlikely. Like there was a time where I thought, you know, Kevin Wilson might go be a head coach somewhere this offseason. But, you know, he indicated, you know, before the Rose Bowl that, you know, he hadn't talked to anybody and he anticipated that he would. Uh, be back at Ohio state for another year. And, you know, it doesn't seem like anything else is imminent for anybody else. So I think the coaching staff is set as is, you know, barring somebody else coming in and and making an offer. One of these guys, if they ultimately uh, decide they can't turn down. And let's take it to some personnel stuff now, of course, with a lot of uh, NFL draft decisions happening for the latest one being Dewan Jones starting right tackle for Ohio State is coming back for the Buckeyes. Zach Harrison also posted kind of a, a cryptic Instagram post, but he uh, captioned it 9-3-22, which of course is the date of Ohio State's season opener against Notre Dame. He put the location as the horseshoe, which in, in today's language, reading the, the Instagram caption tea leaves. That means basically that Zacherson is coming back for another year. That was kind of already what we assumed based on some of the things he talked about in, in, in interviews. You know, he kind of said that he still felt like he had more to show at Ohio State and that that would probably factor into his ultimate decision. So those are two guys on either side of the ball that sound like they will be coming back for Ohio State and, and are going to be potentially, you know, big pieces for the Buckeyes. Which of those, Dan, do you think is more important? And, and why are those important decisions for Ohio State next year? Well, I think they're both important, and I want to say, first of all, about Zach Harrison, that, you know, there were some Ohio State fans that I saw that were questioning whether it's actually a good thing that Zach Harrison's coming back, and my response to to that would be, yes, it's absolutely a good thing that Zach Harrison's coming back. He's a guy who's a team captain. It's a guy who was their most productive defensive end this past season, you know, pro football focus, not, but I always agree with their grades, but they graded Zach Harrison as Ohio state's best defensive player this past season. 
So I think it's a great thing that Zach Harrison is returning to Ohio State for another year, both for him and for Ohio State, because I think, you know, he does need another year. I think he is a guy that, you know, talk about this is a guy who, you know, has that first round NFL draft pick potential, but he has not played like that. I think because he hasn't played like that, you have some Ohio State fans that, you know, think he's a bust or whatnot because he's not. Chase Young, he's not a Bosa brother, and he has not reached that level. But I still think Zach Harrison has been a good player for Ohio State. I think there's another level that you want to see Zach Harrison tap into. And so I get why you know some Ohio State fans are, are disappointed in Zach Harrison. You know, I also get why some Ohio State fans are like, we want to see more Jack and JT, but you know, to that I would say for one. We know Larry Johnson likes to maintain a deep rotation on the defensive line. So I expect that JT Tudemolowal and Jack Sawyer are both going to play a lot in 2022, even with Zach Harrison coming back. Maybe this is bad news for Javante Jean-Baptiste or Tyler Friday or Jacoby Cowan or Kermonte Hamilton or Caden Curry, Amari Abor, Kenyatta Jackson. I mean, there's a lot of guys there at defensive end and, not going to be playing time for everybody, but I don't think Jack and JT are the guys who are not going to play because Zach Harrison's coming back. I think both of those guys are in line to play much bigger roles next year. I would also say that while both of them have huge upside, both of them are still unproven too. And so to have a guy like Zach Harrison with his experience, who's played a lot for the last three years to come back and lead that defensive end group, I think that's absolutely a good thing for Ohio State's defense. And, and now it's the question of, you know, can he finally have that breakout season? Can he finally elevate his game to that five-star level we've been waiting to see from him? We'll see. But I think to have him back is a great thing for Ohio State's defense and something that Ohio State should be very happy about to have him back for another year. With that being said, I do think Dewan Jones is the more important return here. Because I was going to have big questions about who Ohio State starting right tackle was going to be next year if they lost to Juan Jones. Because, you know, we talked about it a little bit last week of, you know, why Greg Stadrao was fired. And a reason for that is they just have not gotten as many elite recruits on the offensive line as you'd expect for the last few years. And I think because of that, you know, there's a concern about what the future looks like at offensive tackle after Paris Johnson and Dewan Jones. You know, I think, you know, I think it's in a very different place from last year where you had too many tackles and you had to move guys inside to get them on the field. I think, you know, I think now I think your offensive line looks to be in really good shape in terms of your starters. I think Paris Johnson most likely moves to left tackle. The one most likely stays at right tackle. You bring back Luke Whipler at center. I think Matt Jones and Donovan Jackson are probably your starting guards. And I think that could be a really good pair of starting guards. And then, you know, I think Harry Miller is kind of a wild card in there where, you know, he was supposed to be the starting center last year, missed basically the entire season. I don't know what you're going to get out of him next year, but if he can come back and be that guy that you thought he was going to be a year ago, you know, that gives you another option in there as well. So I think with Dewan coming back, I think your offensive line looks like it's in a good place. I think without Dewan, you are going to really need somebody to step up at that right tackle spot, whether that's, Josh Fryer, Enoch Bamahi, Zen Mahalski, Ben Chrisman, whoever it might be. And they still need guys to step up. I think 
building depth on that offensive line is going to be a crucial thing for Justin Fry in his first offseason at Ohio State. Because I think there is a bit of a drop-off right now after those top guys in terms of the talent that you have in that room. But I think to get DeWan Jones back for another year as your starting right tackle is huge and I think you know gives you reason to believe you could have one of the best offensive tackle tandems in the country next year with Paris Johnson and DeWan Jones. Back on defense, a slew of other starting defensive guys that are also going to be returning for Ohio State. We've already talked in the past about Cam Brown coming back at cornerback. Ronnie Hickman, of course, at that bullet position was kind of a revelation for Ohio State this season. He will be back. Teron Vincent inside a defensive tackle, which is potentially, you know, a big thing with Haskell Garrett leaving, of course, for the NFL. Steel Chambers at linebacker, you know, came on strong at the end of the season. Josh Proctor, of course, in case anyone forgot about him, you know, he – so was the starting free safety for Ohio State this season before getting injured against Oregon and missing the rest of the season. Some of those pieces could definitely be very important for Ohio State. I've already been on record saying I think Cam Brown is a really important piece for Ohio State because without him coming back and, you know, the, the seven bank situation and whatnot, would you have to have turned to a young, unproven guy like a Jordan Hancock or Ja'Kalen Johnson, uh, you know, opposite Denzel Burke? I think Josh Proctor for a lot of people is going to be a, a guy that they kind of circle in terms of Buckeye fans because – we already know, Dan. We already know. People are not huge fans of Bryson Shaw as the starting free safety for Ohio State. You know, the coaches seem to seem to like him enough in that role after Proctor went down the season. He played a, a whole lot of snaps. But I think Josh Proctor, if he can come back and be the same player he was pre-injury, that's definitely a guy that, that people are going to be looking at as a potential difference maker in the secondary. Well, first of all, to that point, quite honestly, it doesn't matter what the coaches fought last year about the linebackers and the safeties because right. those coaches aren't here anymore. So, you know, I think if you're a, a defensive back or a linebacker at Ohio State, every single one of those guys has to prove themselves all over again now because they've got brand new coaches coaching them. So it doesn't really matter what the previous coaching staff fought. You know, you know, I think Denzel Burke's going to be starting next year. I think he, you know, his play proved that he belongs in that role. I'd expect Cam Brown to remain a starter next, Ronnie Hickman to remain a starter next year. But I think, you know, forever guys, everybody's going to have to compete because it is a new coaching staff. They're going to be making new evaluations. And so I think, you know, all those guys are going to have a lot uh, riding on the line coming this upcoming off season. But, you know, I think the good news for Ohio state here is, They've only lost three guys to early NFL draft entry this year. Garrett Wilson, Nicholas Petit-Frere, Master Teague. And Wilson's the only true junior in that group. Petit-Frere and Teague both, uh, you know, graduated. You know, they're both, they're both redshirt juniors. So while they still had a year of traditional eligibility, you know, they're not really underclassmen. So I think the NFL draft deadline went about as well as you could have hoped for Ohio State because you're getting most of the guys back who, who had real decisions to make. Now, uh, the super seniors still have until February 4 to make their final decisions in terms of whether they'll withdraw from the draft and use their additional year of eligibility. So we still don't know with 100% certainty you know, who those guys are going to be. But you know, it seems like you know, indications are that Noah Ruggles is going to be back, Mitch Rossi is going to be back. Teron Cage, to Roger Mitchell, Pollyanna Teote. It, it sounds like, you know, those guys are probably all going to be back. You know, Seven Banks probably won't be back, but no official word there yet either. But, you know, I think in terms of, 
you know, guys who are coming back in terms of, you know, underclassmen who could have left, you know, I think, you know, nobody thought Garrett Wilson was going to come back. No surprise that Nicholas Petit Frere left. And then Master Teague, he was going to be your third string running back if he came back. So I think all in all, this NFL draft deadline went about as well as it possibly could have for Ohio State. It, um, dealing with some choppy internet here, but we'll roll right along. The Ohio State 2022 draft class now looking at it, Dan. Garrett Wilson, Chris Olave, Nicholas petit Ferrer, Thayer Munford, Haskell Garrett, of course, Tyreek Smith, Jeremy Ruckert, potentially seven banks, no official word yet on him. Like we said, Master Teague, Antoine Jackson, Demario McCall. So that's, a, that's 11 guys right there. If I'm looking at that list of names, Dan, I'm not positive that Ohio State if just out of that, those guys listed there, I'm not sure that 10 guys for sure get drafted out of those 11. What do you, what say you? No, I don't think so. I think to me, I think there's seven guys that I think are surefire draft picks. Those are Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave, who will both be first round picks in my opinion. Nicholas petit Frere, who I expect to go in the early rounds. Thayer Munford, Haskell Garrett, Tyreek Smith, Jeremy Rucker. Not exactly sure on rounds for those guys, but I'd be very surprised if any of those guys didn't get drafted. If I'm predicting right now, I would predict eight. I think seven banks will be drafted. I think it will be late, but I I, I would say that I think he gets drafted late, but I'm not certain on that with seven because he, he did not play that much this past year, did not have a great senior season. He was a guy that some people were projecting as a first rounder going into the year. So I think I'm inclined to believe somebody takes a chance on him in the later rounds, but I think he's probably a late round pick. You know, and then, you know, Master Teague, Antoine Jackson, I would think those are guys who will both get shots as undrafted free agents, but I'd be surprised if they got drafted. Demario McCall, I don't know what to think there. I, I hope Demario gets a shot because I think it'd be fun to see him. Uh, get a shot at the next level. But, you know, first of all, the question is what position will he play? So I'd be very surprised if DeMario got drafted, but I certainly wish him the best of luck in terms of that next step. When you're thinking about which players Ohio State will miss the most in 2022 out of that class, I mean, it's hard not to just wonder, you know, wide receiver, even with all the talent, can guys actually live up to the standard of Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson? Obviously, we did see a big breakout game from a guy like Marvin Harrison Jr. in the Rose Bowl with three touchdowns, but still kind of waiting to see with those guys, with Julian Fleming as well. We're still, you know, really waiting to see if he can, you know, be at that level for Ohio State. I think kind of with what we were just talking about with the offensive line, that suddenly, even with losing Nicholas Petit-Ferrer, even though Ohio State's keeping a guy like Dewan Jones, it's now kind of in this position for Ohio State, like we talked about, where maybe one injury could kind of create a big issue for the tackle position for Ohio State. So that could potentially be, you know, a, a position where you're looking back and, and kind of missing guys there. We've talked about it before at tight end, even though, you know, Jeremy Rucker didn't have some amazing season for Ohio State this past year, maybe slightly underwhelming to, to what he had hoped to have as a senior. You still, you look at that position now and Cade Stover was kind of the number two guy there. It kind of seems like he's moving on to play, you know, linebacker for Ohio State now. And then, you know, Kevin Wilson isn't convinced that G Scott is a full-blown tight end yet. So what do you do? Do you bring along a younger guy like a Joe Royer? You just wrote a piece on Bennett Christian as well, freshman coming in. Do you look at the transfer portal? So that's a position for Ohio State that 
has been an important one, despite, you know, a lack of receptions and targets per se in the passing game that you kind of look at a Jeremy Rucker and go, man, that might be actually a, a guy that they miss even more than anyone's really thinking about right now next season. Yeah, I think Rucker really might be the most like obvious guy that they're going to have a tough time replacing just because of the fact, like you mentioned, that Cade Stover is moving to defense and they don't really have many other tight ends on the roster with much playing experience at all. So, you know, I think he might be the toughest to replace just in terms of, you know, who they have waiting in the wings. I think that's the good news with just about everybody else on that list is that I think they do have, you know, good options coming up to replace them. You know, we talked about the offensive line, you know, I think on the defensive line, you know, Tyreek Smith and Haskell Garrett are two guys they'll miss, but I think they've got, you know, enough talent there in the wings at both defensive end and defensive tackle that, you know, they should be fine without those guys. You know, it still feels like when you're talking about who Ohio State's going to miss, like to me, the answer should be Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave because those are two of the best receivers Ohio State has ever had. So for me to say that Ohio State's not going to miss those guys, I still think Ohio State's going to miss those guys to an extent. You know, now I don't think their receiver room is in a bad place or anything. I think there's so much talent in there that it's certainly possible that Ohio state could have the best receiver room in the country again next year. I mean, we saw the way they played in a Rose bowl, certainly with Jackson Smith and Jigba leading the charge. So I think Ohio state's still in a great place at wide receiver, but to say they're not going to miss Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave, those guys are two damn good players. You know, I know we were asked by silver sniper about whether you would take the 2021 Stroud and the receivers he had or the 2022 receiver, which one you would take. I mean, I got to go 2021. I mean, I think Marvin Harrison Jr. is going to be a great player. I think Mecca Buka and Julian Fleming have a ton of potential. Jaden Bauer has potential, you know, guys coming in like Keon Grays and Caleb Burton certainly don't put it past them to make an immediate impact. But I think that 2021 receiver group was without a doubt the best receiver trio that Ohio State has ever had and I think to expect Ohio State to be even better at receiver after losing two guys of Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson's caliber who are about to be the first round picks Ohio State has had at wide receiver since Ted Ginn and Anthony Gonzalez I think you lose two guys like that you have to expect that there's going to be at least some drop off even if it's not a ton of drop off yeah that question is kind of funny for me because it's like it's taking the known commodity versus the the potential for next season and beyond. But the thing is, the known commodity was already at such a high level that how could you possibly even, you know, forsake that to to kind of bet on the potential there as good as it might be and as good as we saw Jackson Smith and Jigba be in that final game of the season in the Rose Bowl. But then we got another question here from winning for a, la- a lack. Winning for lack of a better word is good. Who asks, can you explain the scholarship limit rules for 2022? Does Ohio State have to get down to 85? If not, how do exemptions exemptions work and how many can the Buckeyes have? I will definitely defer to you on that topic, Dan, because I I, I don't even think I'm 100% on everything like that in terms of numbers. Yeah, I'm not 100% either, but my understanding is the super senior exemption was only for this year. So my understanding is they do have to get down to 85. I'm not aware of any other exemptions that would go beyond that. And so 
That does bring up an interesting question here, because if you look right now in, in terms of, you know, the guys who are confirmed leaving at this point, and then who else would be back right now, Ohio state would be at 93 players. So Ohio state is going to have some roster attrition here between now and the start of the season. And I tend to believe that's going to work itself out because we've seen it work itself out in the past. And, you know, we know the transfer portal is going to continue to be a thing. I'm sure there are guys on on the roster who are going to make that decision, you know, after spring practices or whatnot, depending on where they are on the depth chart. But that number is higher than I thought it would be right now. I'm honestly a little surprised that we have not seen additional transfers since the Rose Bowl. Basically, everybody who has entered the portal has been before the Rose Bowl. And we haven't really seen any other transfer additions from scholarship players since the Rose Bowl. And Ohio State really hasn't had any surprise losses to the NFL draft unless you know, again, you know, there could be, you know, a couple of those super seniors could still choose to go to the NFL and that would lower that number a little bit. But, you know, to me, I'm actually a little bit surprised that Ohio State, you know, hasn't lost a few more players than it has since the end of the season. And so, you know, the good news is Ohio State's right now appears set to keep a lot of key guys so that they weren't necessarily sure would be back because they had NFL options. But it does mean that there's some roster attrition that's going to have to take place. And, you know, I think it goes back to something that we talked about a couple of weeks ago, too, which is why, you know, when a guy like a Darian Henry Young enters the transfer portal, it, it doesn't need to be a source of, panic and what's going wrong at Ohio state. Cause the reality is Ohio state is going to need some more of those guys like that to enter the transfer portal. It's going to have to happen one way or another. I, I know Ryan day is not the kind of guy who wants to, you know, quote unquote process players out of his program. But the reality is right now they have more players on scholarship and they're going to be allowed to have come September. And so I, again, I tend to believe these things are going to work themselves out naturally it is possible, though, that there might have to be a few tough conversations that have to be had, you know, after spring practice. There, there might be a few guys who, you know, perhaps Ohio State encourages to enter the transfer portal because they're going to have to get the numbers down. And Dan, if, if any of you guys out there had Ohio State's 2022 schedule burned into your brain last week, you might need to take a look at the new schedule because there have been some somewhat significant changes made for, for all the big 10 teams. You know, um, it, it was, you know, labeled as changes made because of the changes that had to happen in the 2022, the 2020 season, the COVID plague season, of course. So everybody kind of got some switches made there with the schedule. And um, one of the main things for Ohio state that jumps out at you is that the Buckeyes will now open the season with five straight home games, which for the first time since 2003, that that is the case. And this is an eight-home game season for the Buckeyes, which is also the first time since 2012. Both of those definitely sound weird on paper, and it looks weird to look at the schedule with those two things on there. But I'm sure that's a luxury for Ohio State that they're going to enjoy this season for sure. Another development on the the schedule changes is that Ohio State will no longer play Michigan State and Penn State back-to-back on the road. They will now play Penn State and Northwestern back-to-back on the road. 
which is certainly a trade that I think Buckeye fans and Ohio State in general will be happy to see. But, the, you know, the front of the schedule for, for Ohio State, it's still a pretty challenging schedule, Dan, because you've, you obviously start with Notre Dame. And as we alluded to at the beginning of the show, you know, there's a lot of interesting storylines there with coaching and everything like that for the Fighting Irish coming into this game. And then just a few weeks later, Ohio State has to play a Wisconsin team at home for the Buckeyes, but still, that's no pushover game there. Dan, what are some of your biggest takeaways from the changes made on the Ohio State schedule here last week? Yeah, it's definitely a nice luxury to have five straight home games to start the season, eight home games overall, both for football reasons and for financial reasons. Now, they're going to have to make up for that next year when they're only going to have six home games and they're going to have to go on the road six times. So I'm sure that'll be a big storyline next year in terms of the challenges that's going to present for Ohio State having to play away from home so much. But certainly for this upcoming season, uh, playing at home home eight times is a great uh, luxury to have, something that certainly going to help Ohio State. And I think especially a good thing when you look at the schedule that they have this year, because it's not an easy schedule. I mean, Notre Dame is going to be a preseason top 10 team. Ohio State's going to play them right out of the gate. And then, you know, the cross-divisional matchups are tough this year too. You know, looking at, you know, a lot of the early top 25s that came out last week, Wisconsin and Iowa are projected by most people to be the top two teams in the Big Ten West. And Ohio State has to play both of them. It gets to play both of them at home, which helps. But it's still a a tough draw for Ohio State to play those teams in addition to a Big Ten East that, you know, we saw this past year was a lot stronger than it had been in, in other recent years. So, you know, I look at the schedule, you know, I see six games that jump out to me. That's Notre Dame on September 3, Wisconsin on September 24, at Michigan State on October, home against Iowa on October 22, at Penn State on October 29, Michigan on November 26. You know, those are the six games that stand out to me that, like, I don't think any of those games are going to be, you know, easy cakewalks for Ohio State. And so the good news is you get four of those games at home. The other good news that they learned last week is they no longer have to play those back-to-back road games at Michigan State and Penn State. Because I I think the early part of the schedule looked really daunting before the schedule was revised when – you're playing Notre Dame, Michigan State, and Penn State in your first five games, and two of those games are on the road. So the early portion of the schedule does not look as daunting as it did before the schedule was changed last week. But I still don't think this is an easy schedule by any means. You know, I think the the middle portion of the schedule in particular is going to be challenging. You know, I think, you know, in a four-week span or so, you're playing – at Michigan State, then you play Iowa, then you play two more back-to-back road games against Penn State and Northwestern. So I think it's I think it's a challenging schedule, but I do think that the changes that were made last week are going to benefit Ohio State. And Dan, we're talking about Ohio State, you know, doesn't have to play Michigan State and Penn State back-to-back anymore on the road, but Ohio State will have to play Penn State and then the Northwestern Wildcats the very next week. Could that possibly be a trap game for the Buckeyes against a team that was not very good this year, but it's a team that Ohio State has struggled with a couple times over the past few seasons? It could be. I mean, I one thing I know about Northwestern, if you look at the past four years, is that they've kind of been on again, off again, where two years they when they won the Big Ten West, went to the Big Ten Championship game, and the other two years they were awful. So we'll see. Can they can they continue that every year trend and get back to being a Big Ten West contender this year? I don't know. I mean, on paper, 
Northwestern probably shouldn't be a Big Ten West contender, but you know, Pat, Pat Fitzgerald tends to get the best out of his roster. So that's not a game playing them on the road in a potential trap game spot. You know, if you have a letdown off of Penn State, that's not a game I look past. Uh, another game I don't look look past is on the road at Maryland one week before Michigan, because you remember the last time Ohio State played at Maryland, it was also before the Michigan game in 2018. And that game went to overtime. And now certainly Ohio State is hoping that with Jim Knowles and all these new coaches coming in, that its defense this year is going to be a lot better than that defense in 2018. But I do think Maryland is going to have the second best passing offense in the Big Ten with uh, bringing back Rakeem Jarrett and Dante Demas, and then also adding Jacob Copeland, the transfer from Florida. Now, I think the rest of the team, I think Ohio State should be a lot better than Maryland. But I, I do think Maryland is another team I look at. Like they're a dangerous team that you can't completely overlook in a potential trap game spot there right before the Michigan game in November. So, you know, I don't think, I think once you get past that early portion of the schedule, you know, you're going to have Arkansas state and is it Toledo? I, I'm, I'm losing yeah. off the top of my head. Yeah. Arkansas state and Toledo. And then you have Rutgers in the fifth game. You know, I think you look at those should be the three easiest games of the year. I think there's the potential for a second half gauntlet again, though, like we saw this last year. You have that bye week right in the middle of the schedule again. And then that last six weeks, you go Iowa, Penn State, Northwestern. What's the other one? Oh, Indiana, Maryland, and Michigan. And I think that, again, you've got that potential for a really tough second half stretch there where there's not going to be a lot of easy wins in there. So I, I do think this could be another tough second half of the season. And that makes it all the more important for Ohio State to start st- starting right out with that Notre Dame game. Because we saw it this past year that, you know, once you lose a game early in the season, you can still make the college ball playoff, but you have no margin for error. And that ultimately caught up to Ohio State this past season. Yeah, and there is a, there's a bye week in this stretch, but that three game stretch there of Michigan State, Iowa, and Penn State. Now that I'm looking at that, I'm like, man, I mean, that's I'm, I'm not going to say that Ohio State's going to drop any of those three games, but you're looking at that, and that's kind of a tough stretch there for the Buckeyes. Now, as we, as we talk early record predictions, Dan, I'm not going to predict like any blindside upset or necessarily a trap game upset for Ohio State. But I thought this past season, I went into the season thinking Ohio State was probably going to lose a regular season game. Now I, you know, I I had like Indiana scheduled as a potential threat for Ohio State at that point. So that obviously did not go well for me, but I've definitely got Notre Dame, Wisconsin, and Michigan circled for me as I think Ohio State's might lose one of those three games and finish the first 12 games, 11 and one. What say you? Yeah, I'm going to go for 11 and one too. Cause like you said, I think, you know, I, I, I think there's, you know, six games on there, but I think are losable games for Ohio State. And I don't think this is going to be an easy schedule. And I think we, I think, you know, things came back down to earth this past year for two years there. It looked like Ryan Day might never lose a regular season game. Then, you know, I think this past year, things kind of came back down to earth. And it was a reminder of how hard it is to win week in and week out in the Big Ten. And especially when you add on another marquee non-conference game there. And so, I'm going to go with 11 and one. I don't have a specific uh, team that I'm going to predict Ohio State to lose to right now. I, I just think that, you know, with this schedule, going 12 and 0 is going to be hard. But I will say this 
I do think Ohio State's going to win the season opener against Notre Dame, and I do think Ohio State's going to win the season finale against Michigan. Because I think uh, those are the two games that I think Ohio State fans are really anticipating right now. Because obviously Ohio State wants revenge against Michigan, but I, I also think there's some bad blood that's going to be simmering with Notre Dame too between, you know, you know, a Marcus Freeman comment about, you know, not making the same mistake twice and then, you know, you know, them hiring James Laurinaitis, them hiring Al Washington. You know, I think some of the anti-Marcus Freeman rhetoric from the Ohio State fan base goes a little bit overboard because he's Notre Dame's coach now. His job is to promote Notre Dame. His job is not to tell the world how much he loves Ohio State. And so he's going to be very pro-Notre Dame when he talks about Notre Dame. He's going to try to build the best possible coaching staff for him. And because he has connections at Ohio State, that means trying to hire people from Ohio State. And so I uh, totally get why he's doing what he's doing. But I do think it's raised the stakes here for that Ohio State-Notre Dame game where, you know, not that I think Ohio State fans were big Notre Dame fans to begin with, but I think especially now there's going to be even more reason for Ohio State to really want to beat Notre Dame in that first game. Oh, 100%. And, and you know, as, as challenging as those games are in between those two bookends, I think if you're confident, Dan, that Ohio State is going to take care of business against Notre Dame and Michigan, I think a lot of Ohio State fans would be pretty pleased with getting uh, wins in both of those games. Yeah, no. those are the two big ones. There's a lot of big ones on the schedule, but I don't think there's any doubt those two are, are going to be a really highly anticipated games. And I have a feeling we're going to talk a lot about that Notre Dame game uh, here on Real Pod Wednesdays as we get closer to the season, since uh, that's going to be a very highly anticipated season opener in the shoe come September 3. But that'll do it for this week. Lots of news to discuss. We'll see how things go here over the next week and what we have to talk to you about next week as well. But thanks as always uh, for joining us and we hope you'll tune in again next week.